Now, we're starting a new series today that I'm very excited about called uh, The Heart of a Dreamer. And we're going to be looking at two verses particularly today. It's going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 and Genesis 37. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to those places and put your markers in them. Now, the series Dreamer is based around the life of Joseph. Uh, he was someone that lived a really, really long time ago, but he's someone that I've always really identified with because he was someone that God gave a dream to, and then over a period of many years, he saw it go from a dream into the destiny or the reality of his life. Uh, I'm a dreamer myself. When I was a kid, I would go outside and I always pretend I was a firefighter. I'd be fighting fires that didn't exist. But I was just always pretending, using my imagination. I was going to grow up and be a firefighter. I was going to ride in the back of the truck. I was going to have a Dalmatian. That was my best friend that rode along with me. You know, I had all these plans. I was going to be a bus driver. That was really attractive to me for a while. I don't know why, but I thought, I'm going to be a bus driver. I'm going to wear the hat. Everybody's going to love me, be super friendly. And then I rode a bus for the first time and found out that people aren't that friendly. <laughs> and then I wanted to be a, a Star Wars pilot of an X-Wing. I was convinced that by the time I became an adult, they would really have most of the technology that we saw in Star Wars. So I was outside and I'd practice flying around in my X-Wing and I'd be blowing up Death Stars left and right. So these were all the dreams that I had. It never occurred to me as a child that I wouldn't, uh, that I, there was a possibility that I could end up obscure. There was no, I mean, not even a remote possibility that I didn't have a destiny to something great that I was called to. No kid is like that. Everybody believes that you can grow up and that you can change the world, that there's something great that's awaiting you in your future. But then I began to grow up. And I went to college. And I got a job. And pretty soon, the destiny and the dream began to die. The dreams became impossibilities for me. It was something, well, maybe my dream is I'll go on a vacation to Tahiti. That's what I'm dreaming about in life now. And the sense of destiny that I used to feel became confined in the four walls of my cubicle. I felt like this is it. This is the rest of my life. I just have to accept this. But then when I really committed my life to Jesus and to following him, not only did I receive forgiveness of my sins, not only did I receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and new life itself, but along with the new life that I received, I received new dreams and a new sense of destiny and calling upon my life. And if you remember nothing else from this entire series, remember this one thing. Write it down if you have notes with you. Is that God has a dream and a destiny for every person. Every single one of us was made with a sense of destiny and calling and dreams that God would deposit inside of our hearts. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And in the message, it's the same verse, but it phrases it a little bit differently. It says, He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, we had better be doing. Now, you are God's workmanship. And what that means is that you aren't a random chance. You aren't here by accident. You aren't a genetic lottery winner. There was intentionality behind your creation. And it also means that you aren't second rate. A lot of us, we grow up and we're very aware of our flaws and our inabilities and we view ourselves not as being a masterpiece or God's workmanship, but we think of ourselves as like a second or a defective item. I remember being in shop class in sixth grade and we had to build a birdhouse for our moms for a Mother's Day gift. And birdhouses by sixth graders in woodshop for the first time ever don't turn out looking very nicely. 
It didn't look like a birdhouse. It was a crooked roof, had holes in it where there weren't supposed to be holes. It was not a very nice project. And we get that kind of view of ourselves, like we're the second-rate wood shop for kids kind of a project. But that's not what you are. You are God's masterpiece, it says in some translations. It means that he's created you and the way that you are with the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you have, those are things that were intentionally deposited inside of you. Now what this doesn't mean is that every area of sin in your life is the way that God made you, so just embrace it and go with it. That's not what this verse is talking about at all. When we receive new life, we need to leave behind the old things because God didn't create us to live in sin or to be in bondage to sin. He came to free us from that so that we could live our our new lives according to the, the, the gifts and the abilities and the dreams that he deposited inside of us so that we could live as God's masterpiece. And then it also means that you aren't without purpose. Every created thing has a purpose. When I open up my toolbox, I see things in there that I don't know what they are. I don't know what their purpose is. I don't know how to use them. But I know every single one of them does has a specific role that it plays. And it's the same way for us. Every one of us were created intentionally for a purpose. It says that God had plans for us before the foundations of the earth were laid. Before you were, God's plan and purpose for your life was. Our life now is walking into that, into discovering that which we were created for. And so what were we created for? It says that we were created for good works. Now when I say good works, I don't mean that you're supposed to help old ladies across the road and you're supposed to pay your taxes on time and recycle. Those are all good things that you should be doing, but that is not the extent and the fullness of God's calling on your life. You were created as God's workmanship to join in the work of Jesus on the face of the earth. Now, how did you come to know about Jesus and his love for you? and his grace and the mercy that he poured out for you on the cross. Somebody told you about that. There was someone in your life that made Jesus real to you. There was someone who invested in you, someone who ministered to you. And because of that, now you have come to trust Jesus. And for some of you, it might have been a pastor or an evangelist. Maybe it was a band that you went to hear. Maybe it was some other ministry leader. It's easy for us to look at those sorts of people and say they're living out the God calling on their life. They're making a difference in the kingdom of God. They've walked into their sense of destiny. But statistics show that most people make a decision to follow Jesus not because of a pastor or an evangelist or a band or a ministry leader, but it's because of parents, it's because of friends, and it's because of coworkers. Those are people that you don't look at generally as saying they're really living out the world-changing plan of God on their life but they are. They're the ones who are reaching more people than anybody else. They're the ones that through wiping noses and listening to stories, changing diapers, they're leading people to Jesus. Through listening to their friends, forgiving them advice, encouraging them, believing in them, never abandoning them, they're having God opportunities to minister to their hearts. It's from the coworkers in the cubicle next to you that are continuing to put up with the music that you play and all the breaks that you're taking, but they love you and they recognize that God has positioned them in that cubicle, not just primarily as someone who makes money for the company they work for, but they recognize I'm a missionary to the people that are around me. 
God has placed me amongst these people. He's given me a platform. He's given me influence in order to minister to them. And their, their job, their situation, their setting is no hindrance. It is nothing that keeps them from following the God plan for their life. In fact, a lot of times, your job or your friends in different settings like that are what enable you to walk into the world-changing, uh, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who are far from him. But we have to change the way that we view that. We have to recognize the calling that we have. Because God has a dream and a destiny for your life. A way that you are supposed to join him in seeing others enter into the kingdom of God. He has plans for you to change the lives of those who are around you. Ways that you join with Jesus in the redemptive work that he is doing all across the face of the earth. And as the message puts it, we had better get to work. Now joining in the work of Jesus is pretty broad. There's a million things that you can do to join in the work of Jesus and seeing redemption all over the world. But what is the thing that he's called you to? That's one of the areas where people get stuck a lot is you recognize there's so many opportunities, there's so many things that you can do, but what is the God thing that I was created to do? And the way that you figure that out is by listening to God. In Numbers 12, 6 through 8, it says, If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal visions myself. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak to him face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So the key to knowing God's dream for your life is knowing God. Moses knew what he was supposed to do with his life because he knew God. And as he spent time with God, God revealed to him the plan that he had for him. And that's the way it is for everybody. If you look at David, if you look at Abraham, if you look at Joshua, all of these people, the heroes of the faith, we see that every one of them walked into their God dream and the God destiny because they heard from God himself. So if you want to know God and his plan for you, you need to devote time to building a relationship with him. You need to worship him. You need to spend time in prayer, reading the scripture, just listening and creating space where you're quiet and you can hear God speak to you. And it's in those spaces that God will begin to speak to you. Uh, the way that I discovered that I was supposed to enter into ministry in the local church setting was because I was spending time praying and listening to God and seeking him out. And then as I was doing that, after months of doing that, I wasn't even really looking for what he was calling me to do. I thought I knew what I was supposed to be doing. But as I was creating a space for God to speak to me, he spoke to me one day and called me to do something that had never crossed my mind, something I never would have imagined that I would be doing. But as I spent time with the Lord, he revealed the dream that he wanted to put in my life. He revealed the destiny that he was calling me to. And sadly, most people that I meet that have a dream, they tell me about the dream that they have. And a lot of times it's a dream they've had for a really, really long time. But very few people that I meet tell me about how they're walking in the destiny that God's called them to. There's a disconnect between going from a dream and having that dream become the reality of our lives. And I think that the biggest reason for that is because there are different character tests and tests of our heart that we have to go through before we can go from a dream into our destiny. And that's what we see in the life of Joseph. We see that Joseph receives a dream from God and then he goes through many tests and after passing the test, he goes into the fullness of the reality that God created him for. Now, why does God do this? Why does God give us a dream and make us go through tests and not just give it to us? Now, I want to give my son Ethan a car. 
He's two years old right now, so I don't want to do it now, but eventually one of the things that I want to bless him with is a car. But if I gave that to him now, it would be horrible. The car would be destroyed, and most likely he would be destroyed in several houses along the way. He's not ready for it. He has to grow. He has to mature. He has to pass some tests and allow some development to occur. And the same thing is true for us. We have to go through some testing. We have to go through a maturation process. We have to allow God to work on our heart and to change us so that we can be ready for the fullness of the destiny that he's called us to. So in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start taking a look now at what happened with Joseph and then we'll spend the next several weeks going through this. The first test that Joseph faced was the test of pride. In Genesis 37, 2 through 8, it says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpah, his father's wife, and Joseph brought a bad report to them of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed going to reign over us? Or are you indeed going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I had dreamed another dream. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told this to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. Now, if you're going to step into your destiny, the first thing you have to pass is the pride test. And Joseph failed miserably at this. Now, if you're going to pass the pride test, there's a couple things that you need to do. And the first one is you need to stop talking. Now, if you have a a great dream that God's given you and you're someone who naturally struggles with pride, what you've probably been doing is telling everybody how great your dream is, how God's called you to this amazing, incredible thing, about how it's so much better than whatever God's called them to. And you go around and you tell everybody and nobody is encouraging you and saying, that's right, that's great. You know what they're doing? They're telling you to shut up. And that's really good spiritual advice. Because nobody wants to listen to someone brag about the dream that God has given them. That's pride. That's something that, spurns, that makes people spurn you. It drives them away from you. But what do proud people always do? They're always talking. They're always bragging about themselves, about their dreams, about the things they've done, the ministries that they have led, the children's ministries that they've led, the groups they've had, the people they know, who you know they don't know. But they saw someone once, and now they claim that they're best friends with John Hagee. But uh, I remember I met this guy once. I was here at church, and it was like one of the only Sundays he came. <laughs> but he came up to me after service, and he said, Hey, I just want you to know that I really like it here, and I really want to be involved, but I want you to know something about me. And I'm like, All right. He said, I'm a leader. Like, All right, good. We need leaders. He says, No, I don't think you understand. I'm an ordained minister. I'm like, Awesome. Me too. And he says, I'm not just some worker bee. I'm not someone that just serves. I'm someone that leads. These are all the things that I've done in the past. And, you know, I don't want to be someone that just helps out. I want to be a leader. I want to preach and do all these other things. 
And I thought, man, there is no way on earth that I will ever let this guy do anything. Because what is the example that Jesus set? Jesus, being infinitely higher than any of us, he came and he humbled himself below everybody else and served them. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you need to humble yourself and you need to become the least of all people and you need to be a servant of everyone. That's the call that we have on our lives. That's the way that we live out the gospel. That's the way that we imitate and we mimic Jesus. It has nothing to do with pride. It has everything to do with humility. And that gentleman, I've discovered he has just a, a string of failed ministries and things that he's done that have never worked out. And it probably never will work out for him because he has pride in his heart and pride is inhibiting him from being able to lead people. And what's the first thing Joseph does after he receives his dream from God? He goes and tells it to his brothers who already hate him. And he tells them about how they're all going to bow down to him. That's not something that anybody needs to hear. But Joseph, he's just the typical guy. He's just going around, he's bragging about how great he is, how great the thing is that God's called him to do. And it's true. God called him to do incredible, great things. But you don't need to tell everybody that. You don't need to make that the basis of every relationship that you have with them. People that are proud, you can tell because of their words. Out of the overflow of their heart do we speak. So if you have pride in your heart, when you're speaking, even if it's about something good like your calling in life and the dream God's given you, you're going to be speaking about it in a way that elevates you over others and you're going to be tearing other people down to continue to make yourself look even better. Have you ever known the one-uppers? No matter what story you tell them, they have one that's even more absurd or bizarre or worse or better. It doesn't matter what it is. It's like kids. They're always talking about, yeah, my dad can beat up your dad. Who cares? Why are our dads fighting in the first place? Why do you care whose dad is stronger? Or, you know, it becomes the same thing. Now we as men, we go fishing and we catch fish. And if you find out someone else caught a fish this big, all of a sudden your fish is that big. But we're always trying to one-up people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And we're always trying to then tear down other people to make ourselves look even better around others. But that's not what God's called us to do. We haven't been called to live as like the punk teenagers for our entire life. We've been called to be those who are mature and who humble ourselves. Now, when I look at Joseph and the way that he reacts to this, to the dream that God's given him, doesn't it seem kind of funny that God would give someone with so much pride such a big dream? It doesn't seem like he would be a likely candidate for that. But this is what God does. He's a lot smarter than us. And so the way that God deals with our pride is he gives us a dream. Because the way that you react to your dream will show what's really in your heart. Now, he didn't have much to be proud about before. He was still a proud man, but he didn't have much to be proud about except maybe his coat of many colors. But now God gives him a big dream and the pride comes to the surface. And once the pride surfaces, now God's able to deal with that pride. And this is the way that God deals with this. When you have these character flaws in your life, God knows that you have them. Your character flaws, your inabilities, these different things, these don't keep God from giving you a dream. A lot of times, God will use the dream that he's given you to deal with the character flaws that you have, to bring them to the surface and then be able to allow you to grow through those things to walk into the destiny that he's called you to do. And the way that we deal with our pride is by actually dealing with our insecurity. You see, the root problem of pride isn't pride. The root of pride is insecurity. Pride is the symptom of insecurity. Pride is the fruit of insecurity. If you struggle with pride, what you really struggle with is insecurity. Why do proud people brag so much? 
because they're trying to convince you of the calling that they have or the dream that they have. And if you believe that about them, then they will believe that about themselves because they're insecure. And this is what I did. When I first received my call into ministry, I went through a couple of phases. This one, I was, you know, I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, this is such a blessing that you've called me to this, this thing. And then it was, truly I am more blessed than other people. And I became the critic. I started to become the person that was always trying to build myself up so other people say, yeah, this guy is called into ministry. But all I was doing is showing is that I was nowhere near ready to be someone who was ministering the gospel of Jesus. But it was because of my insecurity. I was trying to convince everybody else of the dream that I had and the thing that God had called me to. I didn't need to do that. When, you're, when you are someone, you don't have to tell everybody else that that's who you are. You see, the President of the United States, he doesn't wake up every morning and tell everybody in the White House, I'm the President. You know who I am? I'm the President. He doesn't have to do that because he knows that he's the President. That's who he is. When God gives you a dream, you can know that that's who you are. You don't have to go around telling everybody what your dream is. You don't have to try to convince them of it, build yourself up, tear other people down. You can walk in humility because you are who you are because that's who God made you to be. You need to allow God to deal with the insecurity that you have. What's the way that Satan tempted Jesus? He said, if you are the Son of God, then do this. And Jesus didn't even answer that. He didn't have to say, you know, I really am the Son of God, let me prove it. Jesus knew who he was. He didn't have to prove anything to anybody. So how do we deal with the insecurity? The same way that we get to know the dream that God has for us. It's in spending time with God. You see, when I'm spending time every morning with Jesus, when I'm in before the throne room of the King of Kings, when I'm in the presence of the creator of all, I don't feel insecure anymore because I know that I'm loved by him. It's impossible to walk out from the presence of God experiencing his love for your life and feel insecure. And it's also impossible to walk out feeling proud because when you're in the presence of God, you recognize that you are not him. But you also recognize how loved you are by him. See, this is what really helped me to, to deal with my insecurity. It was when I consider what Jesus did for me that he, God of all things, was willing to humble himself and to come down, take on human flesh, to live as I live, to humble himself, to become a servant of all people, and to die on the cross for my sins so that I could be adopted into his family. That's incredible love. How can I feel insecure anymore when God would do that for me? But I'm also not proud because I know I was adopted. It isn't of my own doing that I became a part of the family of God. It was his doing. I'm secure because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm secure because of the love that God has for me. And I'm humble because I know that everything that's happened in my life has been his doing and not mine. I don't have to walk around with insecurity because I'm a son of the king. That scared me. (laughs) But I also can't be proud because everything that's happened in my life, the dream that God's given me, the, the salvation that he's worked in me, the people that he's blessed through the ministry here, that's all been Jesus. I can't heal anybody. I can't save anybody. I can't give hope to anybody. I can't do any of these things. That's stuff that only God can do. And it's the stuff that he wants to do. If you have a big dream, there's going to be a big test of your pride. 
And it's really important that you pass this test first because before you can move on to anything else, you have to pass this pride test. And the reason for that is because in James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, why does God oppose the proud? What's so bad about pride? What pride does is it causes you to disconnect yourself from God as your, his, as your source, as your sufficiency, as your provision in life. You begin to think that this is something that you can do on your own. And really, there are two ways that we rely on self and that pride works on our hearts to disconnect us from God. And the first is that we allow pride to make us think that we're good enough, that we don't need God, that we have all the skill, the ability that we need on our own. We think that we're better than anybody else. We think that we can walk into the destiny that God's called us to on our own. And that disconnects us from him because we're not seeking him out to make it happen. And then the second thing is that we allow pride to make us think that based on our own limited abilities, we can't be used by God. And this is a sneaky kind of pride that most of us deal with. We don't even think of it as pride. But if you think that you can't be used by God because of your inabilities or because of the things that you've done, because of the things that have been done to you, then that's pride. It's saying that you are greater than God. That what's happened, what you've done, is greater than God's ability in your life. That your inabilities are greater than God's abilities. But what we need to do is we need to come before God and we need to humble ourselves and say, God, you are my sufficiency. The dream that you've given me, that I've heard from you as I spent time with you, I'm going to believe you for that. And I'm going to humble myself I'm going to allow you to be the one who gives me my identity. I'm going to find my security in you. And I'm going to trust you to be the one who makes this dream become my destiny. And when you humble yourself like that, it says that God pours out his grace on you. When you have pride in your heart, you're opposed by God until you get to the point of where you reconnect to him as your source. And then once you do that, once you humble yourself, it says that he pours out his grace on your life. And that means that you have everything you need. If you lack wisdom, it means that God's supernatural wisdom will be poured out on you. It means that if you need provision for the ministry that he's called you to, that he's going to supernaturally pour that out on you. It means that if you need a team of people, that he's going to bring you people. Everything that you need, the faith, the confidence, the expectation, it's all going to be provided by God as we humbly walk into the destiny that he's called us to. Would you guys pray with me this morning? You know, the Christian life really is all about humility. It's that first step that we took when we became Christians is we said, God, I, I can't live this life on my own that I can't continue to be the Lord over my own life, but that I'm going to humble myself and give you authority in my life. I'm submitting myself to you and to your ways. And that's the way that we continue to walk it out in every area, is humbling ourselves before God and submitting to his plans and his will for us. And this morning, if pride is something that you've been struggling with, This morning, you can be freed from that pride by simply humbling yourself and saying, Jesus, I submit to you. God, forgive me of my pride. 
Forgive me of trying to do this on my own. Forgive me of thinking that this couldn't even be because I thought you couldn't use me. And God, would you pour fresh new vision into my life for what you've called me to? Father, would you reveal the calling that you have for me? And Father, would you build faith in me to believe you for it? And Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to every heart in a real way. Father, we know that you have called us as the church to be those who go forth and make disciples. That You've called us to live supernatural lives, not limited by ourselves, but empowered by your Holy Spirit in us. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out in us in fresh and new ways. God, empowering us to do the things that you've called us to. And Father, we pray for those in our city who are far from you. God, for the lost, the hurting, and the broken. And we pray that you would send us to them. Like Isaiah, when you said, whom shall I send, God, we stand up and we say, God, send me. And God, would you show us the ways that we're to minister to the poor, and to the broken, to the abused, to the addicted. Father, would you show us how we're to minister to those who are forgotten. And God, would you pour out more blessing on our lives and we can contain that it would spill over into all those that we come into contact with in our cubicles, God, in our classes, in our family. Father, everyone we come into contact with, we want them to be impacted by your kingdom. Jesus, we know that you have a heart for our city. And so we pray that you would create that same heart in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.